Welcome to the Soulful CXO, where we discuss leadership principles, core values, health, wellness, and resiliency. I'm Dr. Rebecca Wynn, the founder and the host of the show. Do you have a topic or guest you would like to be featured on the show? Would you like to be a sponsor? Please reach out to me on LinkedIn or email me at Rebecca at SoulfulCXO.com. Please go to our partner, Cybersecurity Tribe, for weekly show recaps and other resources. Listen and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Now sit back and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Soulful CXO. I'm your host, Dr. Rebecca Wynn, and we are pleased to have with us today world-renowned cybersecurity expert and founder CEO of Secure Anchor Consulting, Dr. Eric Cole. He's on a mission to simplify complex technology and make the digital world safe for business, individuals, and families. An advisor and consultant to former President Barack Obama, Bill Gates, and other high-profile clients, his deep and varied expertise and extends both the public and private sectors, including federal government, large corporation enterprises. He's routinely called upon to serve as an expert witness in IP litigation, criminal and civil cases, and cybersecurity breaches. He's former CTO of McAfee and former chief scientist of Lucky Martin, former adjunct professor and guest lecturer at Georgetown University, New York Institute of Technology, Massachusetts Institute of Technology, Harvard University, University of California, Berkeley, and Purdue University. Author of eight textbooks, creator of best-selling course in cybersecurity, he's trained way more than 65,000 people, as well as other training courses and certification programs. He has been featured speaker in many security events and also has been interviewed in several chief media outlets such as CNN, CBS News, Fox News, NBC News, 60 Minutes, and The Wall Street Journal. He has more than a dozen published books, including his latest book, Protecting Your Business from Real Threats in the Virtual World, which was released May 2021. He has won numerous awards, including inducted into the InfoSec Hall of Fame, awarded the Cyber Wingman Award from the U.S. Air Force, and being recipient of the Harry Schuler Graduate Memorial Award. And lastly, he was my first mentor back when I took his GSEC boot camp in SANS during my very beginning of my career. Eric, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Always a pleasure to see you, Rebecca, and work with you on your uh, podcast. Oh, thank you. You know, Eric, you know, you have such a varied education like I do. The more you know, the more you know, you don't know, so teach me. But how did you even get started getting your master's and your PhD in cyber? What did you get your first degree in and then lead you into this whole cyber realm? How did that even go about? So my initial degree was actually in computer science. And I remember this was back in the 80s. So computer science was really electrical engineering with a couple of programming classes. So I I remember I was sitting there on a Thursday afternoon in a Fortran engineering class saying, what am I doing with my life? I thought I liked myself. Why am I torturing myself like this? And so right after class, I went over to the intern office and basically said, hey, do you have any intern opportunities? And they said, Eric, it's funny you ask because tomorrow the CIA is recruiting on campus and we have one spot left. So I recruited with them and they're actually one of the small groups of people that actually found the fact that I was boring. I didn't drink. I didn't do drugs. I didn't do any of that stuff. They actually found that very interesting to them. So I ended up working for the CIA and working for this small little office of cybersecurity. And that ended up turning into an amazing, amazing career. No, that's that's a cool. I I tell people I talk about Fortran cards with first programs, and people don't know what I'm talking about. And I remember my first Visual Basic program was during the Kalinga earthquake in California, and I remember just going, "What?" <laughs> and then looking at the do- 
dot metrics where the, the code was all over the place. But I'm like, if you still code through an earthquake, you got to know that you found your passion. Exactly. You know, you've always been a very passionate person. I'm a very passionate person. We said you always have to follow your love. And every time I've talked to you, you're always passionate. But there's got to be times when you've talked to boards or you've led teams when you, even you, Eric, get frustrated and you see that things just don't go your way. How do you get yourself up? And do you have any any wisdom that you can show or any to show us that you're human? Anytime you're like, you know what, I did this in this meeting and it really didn't go well. So this is what I did to try and correct it after the fact. How do you do that? Because it's really tough to get yourself back up after you take a major hit. So a couple of things, and I'll, I'll answer that sort of a macro and a micro level, is one thing I notice with me is if I don't get up early and get in the gym and actually exercise every day, I notice I start to get more in a funk and, and sort of get a little down and, and a little frustrated and, and tend to not always look at things correctly. And I've done a lot of studies on it and realized that health and exercise, there's actually a lot of really powerful psychological benefits to getting the blood flowing and things like that. So, so that's almost to a point where it doesn't matter what time I go to bed or where in the world I am. I always make sure I get about a 30 or 40 minute workout in because that sort of keeps perspective. The other thing that I like to do is you sort of look at every opportunity as learning. I sort of get to the point where if you have a good meeting or a bad meeting, if you have a good meeting or a awful meeting, I sort of step back and say, okay, that was supposed to happen. There was a reason that was supposed to occur. My job is not to question it, fight it, or get upset about it. My job is to find what is the lesson that I was supposed to learn in that. And it could be that it, you use board rooms. I learned early on, I have a lot of really bad meetings with board members because I went in and I was too aggressive or I went and I wasn't speaking their language. And especially when you're talking about with cybersecurity, whether you're talking to other engineers, managers, directors, or CEOs, what it really comes down to is you need to understand where the other person is coming from. And one of the phrases I always love is treat people the way they want to be treated. So understand where they're coming from and then treat them and speak the language that they want to hear and make sure you're asking a lot of questions and listening as much as you're speaking. Those are really great words of wisdom. And I, I agree with you. I'm a vegan. I work out too, but I'm one of those people who like to work out at night. I like to get the excess energy off. So then I that works too. Yeah. So it does come, you got to find out the time that works best for you. You recently talked about even on, on your YouTube channel podcast, you talk about the 360 reviews, which I really agree with. I do 30 days, 60 day, 90 day reviews. I can't wait a full year. And I'm one of those people who takes notes all the time so I can know where I'm at. For people who are new and they haven't done that, can you walk them through that and how you should really look about not only about your work life, but your family life and physical and spiritual and mental, what's going on? So you can be the best person you are in whatever CXO position that is? Yeah. So there's two little quick exercises that I do either quarterly. Sometimes I even do it monthly. And, and, and it's one that I help grounded. One is what I call the micro side, which is the perfect day. And I'll usually spend about 30 or 40 minutes of just imagining what would be my perfect day. So I wake up in the morning 
Where am I? Who am I with? What, what do I do? What do I occur? And what that does is when you go back and look at and you just write, I mean, it's once again, there's no time limitations on this. For, for example, my perfect day, I could wake up in the morning in Miami. I could have breakfast in Australia. I could have lunch in Italy. I could do a keynote in, in Russia. And it doesn't have to be something that's even feasible. But what it does is it really gets you to understand what's important to you. And I like doing that periodically because I go, okay, if in my perfect day, I would do X, and over the last three weeks, I haven't done X even once, then clearly I'm not aligned with really what's important to me or what I really want. So I, I find that just sort of stepping back and reevaluating what is a high priority to you is important. And then the other exercise I like doing is it's a year from today and I'm having dinner with Rebecca and she goes, Eric, how you doing? And I say, it's been the most amazing year ever. And she goes, really? Why? And I start writing. What are the big things that would occur for me to say that I've had that perfect year? And once again, it just helps us ground because the society we live in tends to really emphasize titles, salaries, possessions, and sports cars and houses, when really at the end of the day, those things are not very important in the grand scheme of things. So I, I really urge people to sort of step back and just what's important to you? What would it mean to accomplish? What do you want to do in your career? And then let those really drive you forward as opposed to, I want to make a million dollars and have a Lamborghini. I agree. I, I did ask quite a bit because I have a writing that I've done in a talk. And I'm like, don't inspire to be a CISO. Um, and people are like, what? And I'm like, no, you should aspire to be the best person you possibly can be doing what you love. And if it ends up being a CISO, then it ends up being a CISO doing that. Today, thinking along those lines, too, is we end up having, you know, the great, great resignation. There's a lot of CISOs who are changing positions, changing careers in all this time. And I think one of the things is that not finding our authentic self and not being having a voice even in, in interviewing and stuff like that to say, you know, what are they looking? Do they know what their strategic imperatives? Do they know really how they're going to support the CISO and different things along those lines? How do you advise people to, I tell people, you know what, the best thing you should do is not take the job and walk away when you start seeing red flags. How do you advise people on trying to find the right position or maybe knowing that, you know what, you're not in the best fit for you and maybe your best way to handle that is to walk away and find that company who who can you know support you. How do you coach people on on doing that? Finding the right company or knowing when it's time to like lead the company you're at. Yeah, to me, the first thing is, and and I think this is one of the big mistakes that we do in cybersecurity is we say there's a single career track that starts being technical, then you become a world class technical engineer, and then if you want to keep growing you have to move into the CISO role. And it's a single career track. And I think that's broken because you could do extremely well and the world needs world-class security engineers. And the world also needs world-class CISOs. And they're two different positions and they're two different career tracks. And I think that's what ends up happening is you have people that really love the technology 
They love sort of being that super geek and solving those problems and hands get real dirty in incident response, but they feel that the only way to really grow is to go into that CISO. And they don't like presenting to executives. They don't like talking business. They don't like being in the boardroom and they end up being really miserable in that position. And I also see other folks where they want to be a CISO, but they feel the only way to do it is start on the technical side, which to me, they're two different positions. The world needs both, right? The world needs you to be your authentic, unique self, and you can make a ton of money and do extremely well as a world-class security engineer, and you could do really well as a world-class CISO, but they're not necessarily that same track. And some people get real mad at me, but I always say the longer you are a world-class security engineer, the harder it is to become a world-class CISO. It can be done, but if you've been doing something for 12 years, I'm assuming two things. One, you're really good at it. And two, you really like it, right? Because why else would you have done it for 12 years? So now, if you've done something for 12 years and that's your comfort zone and that's your mojo and that's what you like, but now you're switching to a CISO, which is all strategic, not technical in a translation role, when you get pressured and when you get uncomfortable, you're going to fall back to what you know for 12 years, which is technical, and it's going to make you ineffective, frustrated, and disconnect from what you like to do. So I just really urge people is if you're going to switch, from world-class security engineer to world-class CISO, make sure you really want to make a serious change in career because it's just not an easy switch if you're not really conscious about the decision. Yeah, and that explains why we have so much flux right now in our industry. I have people and I'm like, I'm very good external facing. I, I speak, I write, I go ahead and deal well with product development and sales and marketing and all that kind of stuff. I do SOC and all that as well too. But there's people who want you to be absolutely perfect in a role on both of those areas, plus perfect with the board, plus don't rock the boat, plus do everything. So how would you advise the CIOs, CTOs, CEOs who are CFOs who are listening on this call on like when we're even trying to go and find a true CISO, what should we even look for? Because I'll tell you, there's even job descriptions out there that are 10 pages long. I laugh. I don't think a deity could meet all the requirements. And so they're setting you up kind of for failure by doing that. How should they go about even trying to structure things better to find the proper people for whatever role? Do you have any advice on that? Yeah, first is to recognize that a CISO is not a technical position. It's not something where you necessarily want somebody to have that in-depth technical. So what often happens is they take a security engineer position, they change a few words and make it a CISO. That's going to be recipe for disaster. What you're really looking for is a translator. You, you want somebody that you can speak business. You want somebody that can speak technical and they could translate back and forth very easily. So to me, one of the best ways to go in and find a world-class CISO is to ask a simple question. And this is the simple test. You're sitting at your desk and you get a phone call that the company's servers that contain all the critical data have been hacked. They've been compromised and data is leaking out of the organization. What do you do? How do you respond? If that person says, well, I either 
log in remotely if I'm working from home or I run into the data center and I quickly assess and evaluate what's happening. I go in and determine where the attacks are coming from. I minimize, I isolate, I put together the plan of action. You just found a world-class security engineer. That's not a system. If, however, they say, oh, I would immediately call my team together. I would task my team. I would determine with clear deliverables of what they need to find, what they need to do. And then I would immediately call the CEO and let him or her know what's going on and give them a status update, then you found a world-class CISO. So it's really somebody that's very strategic, that can speak business and can also speak technical and translate back and forth, but they're not one that's actually solving the problem or running into the data center. Now, that's great. And you know, when we talk about speaking to the executive and executive boards, that's always been, I've always looked to see what people have done, quote unquote, successfully where I've gone in, right? I've always looked at other, let me look at operations, let me look at CFOs, let me look at all these other presentations, what templates they use and stuff like that. And then I've tried to go ahead and I've tried to scale back to let me do this one page, maybe two page, maybe do, you know, I've done nine squares, I've done three squares, I've done, you know, I've done one word type thing. But I would say that's one of the things that's really a struggle for us too is, trying to figure out what information the board really needs to be actionable. And I, I tell people, it's what do they need to hear? What do they need to do for you? And what do you need to do from them? But that's really a struggle for most of us because sometimes we get, but the CEO doesn't present it that way, or these other people don't present it this way. They do numbers. How can you coach people to do that more successfully at the same time, make that paradigm shift that, you know, our language is a bit different. And we're trying to give you the mindful without giving you just a, you know, a big dump of garbage that you can't act on. How would you advise us to do that better? So to me, the, the primary slide of your presentation to the executive board is one slide that has four pieces of information. It, it's a listing of typically five to six things that says what could happen, what is the likelihood of it occurring, what is the cost if it occurs, and what's the cost to fix it? That's what the executives want to know. So you go in and say, there is a 90% chance that all of our data could be stolen. If that happens, it will cost us $10 million. And I want 300K to fix it. Would you like to reduce that risk? And what it's doing is several things. First, it's speaking their language. They don't care about false positives, false negatives, SIM, firewall, what they care about is monetary loss to the organization and likelihood of occurring. So you're speaking in business terms that they can understand. The other big mistake that security people make is they only present one side of the puzzle. Most security people will run to the board and say, I need 300K to implement a next generation firewall. And the executives are like, but why? And if we don't spend the 300K, are we okay? We're, we're giving them limited data. Now what I'm doing is giving them both options. Right now, today, if you do nothing, there's a 90% chance this can happen. If you don't like that, then here's the 300K you would use to be able to fix that. And it's very clear and focused. So I have that chart with typically five to six items. And I say, I recommend we fix the top two or three. Now, some CISOs don't like single slide. So I'm okay with three slides. And the three slides are this. One is, what are the threats to your industry or business? 
what are the key concerns? What are the critical data that could negatively impact your business? So basically, what are threats and vulnerabilities? And then I do that third slide. But I'll tell you right now, if you have a slide deck that's more than 10 slides and you have technical terms or technical mumbo jumbo or network diagrams or pictures from Security Operations Center, you are doing it wrong. They do not care about that. All they care about is what could happen, the likelihood of occurring, the cost if it occurs, and the cost to fix it or reduce that to an acceptable level. And I found when I do that, I almost have a 100% success rate of getting the resources, the money, and the objectives that I want. I can go in and talk to most folks saying, okay, I know when I go into this meeting, in 30 minutes when I leave, I'm going to get this, 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 and this. And almost every time I get it, because if you're giving them what they want and presenting it in a way that they understand, the results are almost always very, very predictable in what they're going to decide. You know, I've had people ask in the last several days, obviously, we have more breaches coming on. And I, I tell people over and over again, I said, it's the same stuff coming that's been coming from the last 10, 15, 20 years not doing security by design, privacy by design, enterprise risk management by design, doing getting it innate into your fabric is still the core issue over and over again. What do you see as, you know, why we keep having these breaches and the same similar stuff happening over and over again? Why do you think that's happening? So I, th- I think a couple of reasons. One is there's a communication breakdown because we're having world-class security engineers speak technical language to executives, and neither side understand. So I believe not just in cybersecurity, but in all areas of life, all problems are created and all problems are solved with communication. So if there's a problem or an issue, it's because there's poor communication. So fundamentally, it's because we are not communicating to the executives. They don't understand the problem and they're not going to spend money on things they don't understand. So therefore, really big things get ignored. If you want to go a notch lower, the real issue is companies are not doing the foundational items. They don't have proper visibility into the organization. They don't know all the servers. They don't know all the systems. And it's what I've sort of nicknamed the rule of 90%. And let me explain. If you look at almost all the breaches, server breaches that have occurred over the last three years, it's almost the same. You have a server accessible from the internet that isn't patched, that contains critical data that's not properly encrypted. I mean, almost every one of the breaches, including even Colonial and some of the recent ransomware attacks, Every single one of them fall under that category. There's assets that they're not aware of, they're not properly configured, and the data is not controlled. And I sat there for a second going, wait a second, do I really believe that these companies are doing no asset inventory, no patching, no control? And what it comes down to is most companies are doing it 90%. So they know about 90% of their servers. 90% of those servers are patched and 90% of their data is properly protected. Now, if you're taking an advanced class, 90% is pretty good. But when it comes to cybersecurity, it's not good enough. So companies need to get much more deliberate of making sure they have 100% asset inventory for publicly facing systems. And 100% of those systems are fully patched. And 100% of their critical data never resides on internet facing systems. 
So if you just follow some of those fundamental rules, we can do better. But the problem is when you get world-class security engineers, they love the latest and greatest. So they don't want to go in and deal with asset inventory and patching because that's boring. They want to deal with the coolest, latest behavioral analytics, artificial intelligence-based systems. But that's where a world-class CISO comes in and says, no, no, no. You don't get to go in and do the advance until we get the foundational stuff done and really get more deliberate on what are your assets, where is your critical data, and how is it protected? And until we really get that down and increase the communication, we're going to keep having these problems that we're seeing out there. No, absolutely. And IT asset management, software, what's running on, and porch protocol services management, I tell people they the cybersecurity people out there, hackers, just have to be successful once, and then they can go east-west all they want, all day long. Eric, our, our time, unfortunately, has flown by today. How do people get a hold of you and your company, not only for speaking, but obviously to engage you, to help them and their company? How do they get a hold of you? The easiest way is my website, secure-anchor.com. If they want to reach out to me directly, it's E-C-O-L-E, E-C-O-L-E at secure-anchor.com. And I'm very active on social media. Most of them are D-R-E-R-I-C-C-O-L-E, Dr. Eric Cole. Great. Thank you. And you guys, check out his book. You can get it from his website. You can get it from Amazon as well. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, Eric, I'm going to have to get you to sign my copy. Um, Absolutely. So, Eric, you are a soulful CXO. Thank you so much. 